Well, here we are, week number two in our series, Reimagine, a series in which we are asked to flex our spiritual imagination, to, to submit to a Holy Spirit perspective who, like an artist, will ask us to consider afresh what we know to be a reality. See, this is a series that will lead us, Holy Cross, as a family of faith, to a, a reimagined missional mandate, a fresh expression of Christ's mission for us. But also, it will lead us to the, to the missional non-negotiables. Or another way to say it is the missional motives, which become the filters for our yeses and our noes. Uh, missional motives that will guide the stewardship of our focus, of our energy, and yes, even of our finances. And as I said last week, by the end of this series, we'll arrive at what will be the, the bedrock for Holy Cross's vision over the course of the next decade. And because that's true, it is imperative that you are present for this series, to be, to be fully here, to fully submit to God's word and his Holy Spirit's guiding, to invest your mind and your heart into the Lord's hands for the sake of our future together. We will, of course, continue to record these messages and post them to our YouTube channel and to the podcast, of course, as well, so that you can catch what you've missed or you can simply revisit what you've already heard. Now, what I mentioned last week bears repeating that the American church is at a pivotal moment in history where worship attendance and engagement in the life of the local church is on a steady decline. There are fewer and fewer people in worship and even fewer who are trying to orient their life around the life of Jesus. And friends, while I won't speculate on the why, I can affirm that this is true across the United States. And so last week, we allowed the prophet Ezekiel to speak a word of which I think was both hopeful and challenging. That like an artist, Ezekiel's words to Israel and to us is to ask us to, to flex that spiritual imagination. It is an opportunity to reconsider our perspective. And as we looked at Ezekiel chapter 47, it became clear that the prophet was trying to say to the people of Israel and to us that life must and will look different in the future that the future church will be more about going than about coming, that the future church will be more resolved to, to be out there than cloistered in here, that in the future, communities will be transformed by God's transformed people as they go forth from his presence back into the everyday life of everyday people. And friends, last week, last week you saw that the, that the way of ministry for Jesus himself was not primarily in the temple, 
but actually in the everyday lives of the everyday people that he would meet. Now, I, I get it. <laughs> that is a lot. And there, there were a couple people who, after worship last week, spoke to me. Now, I, I love it when people talk to me about what they think and feel, or they experience what comes out of my mouth or Pastor Adam's mouth. And, and the conversations were primarily last week uh, a coupling of emotions. One, they were uh, excited but also simultaneously extremely nervous. Now, I, I don't want you to hear what it is I'm not saying, right? I'm, I'm not saying that worship is going away or that everything that we've ever known is suddenly going to change. Because I believe, friends, I believe that it is important to conserve the rich traditions of the past, but not at the expense of the new movements of God's Holy Spirit. And so stepping forward, it will require courage to step into the future. It'll require a deep trust that God is actually in charge. And yes, it will require a bit of sacrifice on our part. So, so excitement coupled, coupled with anxiety uh, seems right. So if you're in that spot, congratulations, you are where I think you should be. And in fact, I think it's exactly, I think it's exactly what the disciples were feeling in Luke chapter 10. So let's get to Luke chapter 10 together. You'll want a Bible, the one you brought, the one we provide. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse one. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse one. Now, uh, those of you who spend a lot of time with us, you know, right, that, that we're not going to just drop into Luke chapter 10 without a little bit of context of what's, of what's actually happening when we pick up this story in Luke chapter 10. And friends, tons of things, tons of things have been happening in the first nine chapters. Uh, Jesus has been baptized, he's been tempted, he's prophetically placed himself in that passage of Isaiah when he stands up in his hometown and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, Jesus has already called his first disciples. He's healed countless people. He's given sermons to anybody who will listen to him. He's, he's ticked off the religious. He's intrigued the skeptic. He's, he's raised the dead. He's calmed the sea. He's fed thousands upon thousands. He's been transfigured in glory, and he's even begun to give hints of what's to come. When he says things like the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, now, in fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke tells us that, that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus knows that there is one place and one place only to which he is heading. He knows that the one place that he is going is to the cross. And it's from here, actually, in chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus begins that obedient walk of long-suffering. It is, as Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in one direction. Now, friends, it's with the cross in view that we arrive then at chapter 10 as Jesus appoints 72 
other disciples. Now, before we dig into the text, I think it's a good reminder that there were more disciples than the 12, right? Over time, more and more disciples are actually orienting their life around Jesus. It's almost like, it's almost like what began as a trickle is now like ankle deep. And so here we are, you have, of course, 72, and you have the 72 who are going to join the 12. Uh, So let's get after it. This is chapter 10, uh, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So again, church, look transformed, right, transformed by the life and the words of Jesus, these 72 along with the 12, so 84, right, 84 are sent. And where are they sent? Not to the temple, but out into the everyday lives of everyday people. They are a trickle that is ushering forth from the presence of the word made flesh. From the very presence of God on earth, they're sent out into, into the mission field. Now, if, if I'm honest, when I was young, uh, the phrase mission field conjured up a picture of really crazy places, right? Where, where, the, where the bugs are bigger than birds, right? The mission field was somewhere like way over the sea, right? A place where English was not the primary language. In fact, in the church that I grew up in, there were several times when missionaries came to visit us and they would tell stories of all the things that were happening in the mission field and they would show us these stories by using, get ready for it, a slideshow. No, and I mean, I mean a real slideshow, right? Not a keynote presentation or a PowerPoint. Not any of that. An actual slide deck that they load into a slide projector and it clicks every single... It was the coolest thing on earth. And there in those slides, we saw all of these pictures of exotic looking people, animals, environments, and a people who were, who were so foreign to my own experience. And so growing up, the picture of the mission field was that. Now, interestingly, that picture was cemented more firmly in my brain uh, when Aaron and I became missionaries uh, to the Slovak Republic. It It is a foreign land where English is not the first nor the second language. Now, the bugs there, the bugs are not bigger than birds, but but the home distilled brandy is stronger than jet fuel, right? It definitely, it definitely was over the sea and it took took at least 24 hours to get from the place where we lived in the Slovak Republic to our home. You see, Jesus, Jesus is sending out these 84 disciples into the mission fields. Uh, But as we'll read, Jesus wants us to reimagine the nature of the mission field. So let's look at it again. This is verse two, verse two. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, again, pause just a second. I I know that Pastor Adam and I have said this ad nauseum, but, but it bears repeating. Jesus makes abundantly clear that the issue at hand is not the harvest. 
right? The harvest is already ready. In other words, there are people who are more than ready to hear the gospel. There are people who are ready to believe who Jesus says he is. There are people who are ready to give their whole lives over to Jesus. People who are ready to orient their life around the life of Jesus. There are people who are already ready for the gospel. The harvest is not the issue. Jesus is abundantly clear. The problem is there are very few goers. So let me, let me just put into familiar language, right? There's a, there's a massive amount of people at the time of Jesus. There's a massive amount of people at our time as well, people who are ready for gospel transformation in their lives, who are ready for the dry, arid, uninhabited hearts to be soothed with the water of life. But as Jesus points out, there's really only a little trickle that's headed out. There's a community out there that needs a torrent of gospel goers. But Jesus says, nope, it's, it's only a trickle. And so the remedy of Jesus, then, if we continue in verse 2, is ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, friends, this this should give us pause. Uh, actually, let, let's, let's, let's do what Jesus says. Uh, let's pray for a minute. Good and gracious God, we trust your word that there is a harvest that is ready for gospel transformation. And so send us out. Give us courage to trust in your power and your authority to change the hearts of people. Send us. Send us. Send us, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus says to those who are going, he says to disciples who have been transformed by his word, he says to you and me, he says, go, this is verse three, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. <laughs> do not, do not take anything with you. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, th this small verse in three is packed full, and quite honestly, uh, it doesn't sound awesome uh, for goers. So, so let's just take a second and unpack it just a little bit more. There, there, there is clearly in this text a sense of urgency. Do not greet anybody on the road. Don't greet anybody on the way. Getting the gospel into the lives of other people is extremely important. It's urgent. Heart, soul, and life transformation, bringing dead things to life is urgent. Why? Because dead things stay dead. But those who have faith in Christ, though they die, Jesus says, yet shall they live. If there's no one to tell them, dead things stay dead. There is an abundant life to be had 
And it's not just in the future, it is also in the present. There are so very few who are actively, actually living the abundant life of Jesus, the life that Jesus came to animate. And so there is urgency in the mission. Uh, But more than that, Jesus says it's going to cost us something. Uh, Jesus instructs the disciples to take neither a purse, so, you know, not taking any money. You can't take a bag, which would be filled with like daily necessities, you know, like snacks, for example. Uh, no extra sandals, right? Jesus, Jesus wants them to be representatives of those who have forsaken the world, for those who have given up their own ability to provide but rather would trust themselves, they would trust themselves in the provision of their good and loving Father and to trust the provision of other people. This is perhaps why Jesus teaches earlier in the gospel his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So just in verse three, there's obviously an urgency to the mission. There's a, a radical trust in the provision of God and others. And there is, a, there is a warning that they are being sent out like lambs among wolves. Now, I know some of you are saying like, Pastor, we don't need a spiritual imagination to get what Jesus is saying, right? Clearly, uh, clearly it is dangerous, clearly There are those who, when they go out with the gospel, will encounter obstacles and will encounter persecution. Friends, all of that is true. It is true. But, and this is a big but, there is more here than meets the eye. We need to shift our perspective. We need to reimagine this verse in light of the prophet Isaiah who in chapter 11 prophesies of one who will change the very nature of reality. Uh, So let's look at that just briefly. This is Isaiah chapter 11, begins at verse one. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Life from death. You picking that up? A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with the righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Isaiah prophesying about one who's going to change the nature of reality for you and for me, who will bring healing, who will bring life out of death. But he goes on. Catch this. This is amazing. Ready? The wolf will live with the lamb. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Uh, In other words, when God's kingdom is present on the earth, and the work of the one who is the Messiah is at work, through God's transformed people, as they go forth into the everyday life of everyday people, when that happens, there is transformation. A transformation that doesn't make any kind of sense. 
So that when we, as transformed people, go out with the gospel, those who were our enemies can, by the power of the gospel, be transformed into sisters and brothers in faith. And the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. This is what happens when the gospel goes forth. No doubt there is warning. No doubt it's dangerous. And no doubt a persecution will come. But we can't miss the promise of transformation that happens when God is at work through his transformed people. So friends, let's get to finally verse five of Luke chapter 10. As he sends these disciples out on an urgent mission with clear warning, but also with gospel promise, as he sends them out, not to the temple, but into the everyday ordinary of life, a reimagined mission field. Uh, So let's look at it. This is uh, chapter 10, verse 5. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. So stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick (laughs) and who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. It's interesting that Jesus asks us and asks the disciples of his day to reimagine where the mission is. Jesus doesn't send his disciples to Egypt. He doesn't send them to Africa, to Papua New Guinea, to the Slovak Republic. He sends them into homes and into neighborhoods. He sends them into the everyday, ordinary life of people. What you and I have to do is allow our imagination by God's Spirit to be reshaped, to stop thinking of the mission field as somewhere way over there, exotic people and places and environments, but rather see the mission field as living rooms and kitchens and office break rooms and grocery store aisles and insurance offices and school classrooms, neighborhood walks, This, Jesus is saying, is the mission field, and it is already ready. There are people in all of those places who are ready to hear the gospel, who are ready to give their lives to Jesus, who are ready to allow their lives to be shaped and formed by the one who is the Messiah, and it's going to be God's transformed people going out into the world, into those places, kitchens and living rooms and office break rooms and grocery store aisles and neighborhood walks. God's transformed people in that place. 
And when we get there, Jesus says, when we get there, we are to pay attention to those who are open to us relationally. And when you see them, when you find them, when you encounter them, Jesus says, stay there. Don't move around. Just stay with them. Said another way, Jesus is saying, hey, take time and invest in them. Spend time with them. Be with them so that you can heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Now, before we get too far, I know some of you are like, okay, okay, <clears throat> heal the sick. Not really in my everyday job description, right? It's not, it's not what I do. Like, I, I can barely put together, you know, simple carpentry. The idea, I can't, I can't fix a kitchen sink. You want me to heal somebody? To, no, not my thing. Like, I get you because I can barely fix a kitchen sink, right? But I absolutely believe that God can use his transformed people to bring about healing. But perhaps we need to allow again our imaginations to be reshaped by God's spirit and what healing might mean. You know, some of, the, some of the best healing, church, comes when people simply feel heard. When they're just allowed to share their brokenness and their hurt and their shame and their grief. When they're just allowed to share their life and somebody listens to them. Because it's in those moments, right, that they feel validated and all that pain, all that shame, all that guilt, all that stuff that's buried deep in their hearts is heard. And there's a moment when, when people would entrust you, God's people, with those deep things of the heart and the spirit. And what if in those moments when we hear it and when we see it and when we experience it, we have an opportunity to say that the kingdom of God is near you. There's a God who loves you, whose love is so deep and so wide and so high and so long that he would send his son Jesus to bring about the healing of your spirit, of your heart, and of your mind, and even of your body. What if the healing that needs to happen through God's people today is a healing of listening? I remember it quite clearly. Uh, Aaron and I were out in the midst of our yard with our kids and with some friends, and we were raking up all the leaves of our yard. Our, our house on the east side, it was, uh, it was a beautiful old home. It was in a beautiful old neighborhood, which had really mature trees, which was gorgeous, right? And then the fall, when it all changed color, like it was, a, it was so picturesque. It was not nearly as pretty when all of those leaves right, hit the ground and we were responsible to rake them up. And so we, we'd gather up friends and we, we'd rake them all into one big, huge, massive pile and then people would jump in them. I remember we were, we were doing that and as kids were jumping into the pile, there was this wildly haired, blonde haired kid about the age of three who came over. And I was like, hi. <laughs> The first thing out of his mouth was, my dad died. Like, what do you say to a three-year-old whose first sentence to you is, my dad died? Uh, not far behind him was his mom, kind of 
racing over because she knew that Wilder had just kind of went through all of the yards and ended up in our yard. And of course, she said to us, like, sorry, sorry, he, he saw all of you playing in the leaves and he just wanted to play. It's great. Like, jump in the leaves, man. It's, it's totally fine. And we'd come to learn later that Wilder's dad and Rachel's husband had died because of a really aggressive and nasty form of cancer. And this little three-year-old got to watch it, front row seat. Friends, it's in that moment, as I'm sitting there trying to figure out what do you say, that, that God made the words of Luke chapter 10 come alive. That the mission field is living two doors down. And they have some hurt and some brokenness. I just got to pay attention and listen. And so that began for Aaron and I a journey of just being present with Rachel and Wilder. And there's a lot there. Now, now I'd like to say that by the time we left the Detroit area and came here, that Rachel and Wilder had come to faith. But friends, I, I, I can't say that. I, I, I can't. But I, I do believe that God, that God has their hearts ready, ready for more of God's transformed people to be in their life. See, here in this text, Jesus is having us reimagine where the mission field, not some crazy place over the sea, though that is a part of the mission, but the very ordinary, everyday places where you live and work and play. Jesus is saying the mission field is this, right? It's living rooms, it's kitchens, it's office break rooms, it's grocery store aisles, it's neighborhood walks. It is the places where you live, work, and play. Church, I, I think it's imperative. It is imperative that we hear the call of Jesus to be a trickle that is ushered forth from his presence. I think it's imperative so that you and I can celebrate when one day, when one day, people like Rachel and Wilder can be in the kingdom of heaven. It's going to require courage, boldness, and a trust that God is actually in charge. So we entrust ourselves as a family of faith into his hands, even as he sends us like he sends the 84. To God be the glory. Amen. And so may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ today and every day. Amen.